Well, good morning and welcome again to Jacksonville Presbyterian. We're going through the Gospel of John uh, for the year, and we're, I'm very excited to get uh, into John chapter 7 with you this morning. So, friend, hear the reading of God's Word to us out of John chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 31. It's page 1061 in that blue hardback Bible. Christian, hear the word of the Lord. Some of the people of, of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jerusalem, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open in your lap as we pray together? Now, Father, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, we do confess that you are worthy of all glory and honor and majesty. A Holy Spirit, would you be in this room and give us eyes to see and ears to hear the voice of Jesus himself through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we dive into Christmas time, I do kind of have an obligatory question for you, if that's okay. Uh, do you think Christmas time is a happy time for people or sort of a sad time for people? Is Christmas time happy or is it kind of sad? How do you think different people would answer that question? Well, in 1944, Judy Garland introduced the world to one of the most enduring Christmas songs of all time. Uh, it's been covered by Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby and more modernly by John Legend and Zoe Deschanel and M. Ward and Coldplay and even Kermit the Frog. It seems there is no endless supply of uh, covers to this song. You may know it. It goes something like this. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your hearts be Light. Yeah, yeah, it goes exactly like that. Well, what, friends, what you may not know about that song, which starts off, have yourself a merry little Christmas, may your heart be light. Next year, all our troubles will be where? Out of sight. So have yourself a merry little Christmas. Well, what you may not know, friend, is that in 1944, when Judy Garland was given the original lyrics to this song uh, for the timeless movie, Meet Me in St. Louis, Judy Garland refused to sing the song. You see, the reason why is because the original lyrics uh, that Hugh Martin originally wrote to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas went a little differently than the song that we know today. Uh, in a 2010 NPR interview uh, with Terry Gross, uh, the original author, Hugh Martin, uh, actually revealed to the, his audience that the original lyrics to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas aren't quite as happy. They go like this. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. <laughs> Next year, we may all be living in the past. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Pop that champagne cork. 
Next year, we may all be living in New York. No good times like the olden days. Happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us no more. But at least we will all together, if the Lord allows, from now on, we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. As one commentator put it, the original lyrics read like they could have been written by Radiohead. Uh, but what strikes me, now that's a band if you don't know. Y'all may not know who Radiohead is. That is a depressing British band, full disclosure. But what strikes me about these lyrics, right, is uh, there, is a, there is a sense that for some people, maybe many of the people in this room, that those darker, more morose lyrics actually strike a minor key that resonates within your hearts in a way that a lot of those happy, sappy, major key Christmas songs, you know, incessantly playing nonstop in all the stores, uh, never can. Uh, friends, it's possible that for many of us, Christmas time is really a season of sadness, maybe even darkness, right, of missing faithful friends who are dear to us, who really aren't near to us anymore. Uh, so which is it, friend? Is Christmas time happy or is it sad? Uh, well, is, think about it this way. Uh, you know, if you picture Christmas lights in, in your mind's eye, do you see the glitz and the glamour and the shine of the Christmas lights? Or do you look past the lights and you just see a tapestry of a dark, cold winter night? Is Christmas happy or sad? Well, I think the, the passage this morning sheds a lot of light on the answer uh, to this question. And I think the only way to really answer the question, um, it's not to look at how well your family's doing or whether you have family around you. I think the question, uh, is Christmas happy or sad? It totally hinges on a simple question, which is, who do you think Jesus is? Think about it this way. Is Jesus actually the light of the world, which the darkness can never overcome? Is Jesus really the life, which is the light of men? Is Jesus really the promised Christ come to save us from all of our enemies and of sin and death and rejection and guilt? Is he the Christ? Has he actually, literally come from the Father full of grace and truth on a rescue mission to redeem us from a broken, dark world and to make all things new? Did Jesus actually enter our world born of a virgin born under the law, to redeem those under the curse of the law? Is it true that he really did, at the right time, die for the ungodly? When he knew that his hour had come to die on the cross and return to his Father, did he truly, truly love his own to the end? You see, friends, who is Jesus? Are the stories true? That determines how Eventually, you'll see Christmas. So let's look in our passage and see how different people see Jesus. And just full disclaimer, what I love so much about Christianity, uh, this is just sort of an aside. I won't charge you for it. This is just an extra add-on. Uh, what I love so much about Christianity, friends, is if uh, this is a hard time for you, if you've lost people or you're sad or you're thinking about the people who aren't going to be with you on Wednesday, uh, friends, the great thing about Christianity is it totally soberly looks at 
heartache and sadness and guilt and shame and loss and loneliness and says they're all real. Other religions will tell you they're illusions. Uh, it's you wanting the wrong things and it's something you need to fix. But Christianity comes along and it says there is something deeply dark and wrong with this world. But God has come in to shed light on the darkness and to make all things new. Uh, so we don't ignore the dark and the sadness. Instead, we see the light shining brighter and brighter until it's the noonday sun. Uh, so if you're going through a dark time or you're not into the major key, happy, sappy songs, friends, uh, Christianity is so much more beautiful uh, than a song meant to make you buy more widgets. Just, that's just extra. All right, so let's dive in. How do people see Jesus? Well, the first group of people in our passage the way they're going to try to figure Jesus out. The first thing we need to know about them in verse 25 is it tells us right there, verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said about Jesus, wait a second, how is this guy teaching? Isn't this the guy the religious leaders are seeking to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that Jesus is the Christ? And what I love about that uh, comment right there where it says, is it possible for the religious leaders to know that he's actually the Christ? And that's why they're not stopping him. And what I love about that is if you think about the people of Jerusalem, well, that's the capital of the nation. And so they're looking at their leaders, and this is going to be hard to imagine, but they are sort of skeptical with their leader's competency, right, to see things as they really are. They look at their religious leaders and they're thinking, well, you know, I don't know if I trust those people. Maybe they're wrong about Christ or maybe even worse. Maybe they really do know he is the Christ. And so how is it that these people then are seeing Jesus? Are they believers and they're sticking up for Jesus in this question? Well, it's actually hard to say, but I think there are some other passages in the Bible that shed light on what it would be like to be from Jerusalem and what kind of attitude these people had about Jesus in this story uh, I know this is dipping way early in another gospel, but this is why it's so beautiful for us to have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four biographies of Jesus, because they all shed different lights on the same truth. Uh, way, way early on in Matthew chapter 2, in another gospel, way early on, when Matthew is telling us about the wise men come to worship baby Jesus, it says this, and notice what it says about the people in Jerusalem when they hear that the Christ has been born in their community. Look at Matthew 2.2. If you want to flip there, it's page 960 in that blue Bible. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now notice how King Herod responds, and the whole city of Jerusalem. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. You see, the whole community was worried that there might be a Christ. Are they really getting what's happening? I think they see Jesus potentially as a threat. Um, also, the people of Jerusalem, in this passage, uh, Jesus is uh, around the Feast of Booze in a few months. He's going to come 
at the Feast of Passover where he's going to die at his hour on the cross. And when Jesus goes in just a few months back to Jerusalem, you may remember these words uh, from Matthew. When Jesus comes to the people of Jerusalem, he says these words, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, the people of Jerusalem, by and large, are not accepting Jesus for who he is. They may even fear that he really is Lord of everything, but they don't necessarily want to obey him. Um, I don't know if there's any, any part of you that could maybe resonate with that, where you could maybe acknowledge Jesus as king, but you don't really want to make him king of your life, right? And in some ways, if you really think about the fact that Jesus is the king of everything, some things in your life and in my life, may have to drastically change. See, this is why they're getting really nervous that the Christ may actually be here. The other thing I'll say about the people of Jerusalem is, uh, I, I don't know if you caught it, uh, you may have been scratching your head a little bit in verse 27. They say, if you look down there, the other thing we find out about the people of Jerusalem and how they're trying to figure out Jesus is verse 27 says, uh, they, these people from Jerusalem say, well, we know where this dude comes from. Hey, Jesus is from Galilee. Everybody knows that. He all, he, they, all of his friends, they all speak with a Galilean accent. We all know where Jesus comes from. He comes from Galilee, you know, Podunkville, northern Israel. We know where he's from. And then they say, but no one will know where he really comes from when Christ appears. And you see what those people are thinking in that little sentence. What they're saying and revealing is they would have understood they would have thought that when the Christ really does appear, that it would have been a complete surprise. You see, they were misunderstanding the Bible. They just simply didn't know the Bible. They thought that, well, hey, I guess when the Messiah appears, it'll be like, ba-ba, surprise. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I am. You don't know my mom. You know nothing about me, and I am now the Messiah. That's what they thought the Messiah would be like, uh, which is actually... Uh, wonderfully uh, and sort of tragically uh, wrong. And uh, John knows that, right? So if you turn the page in your Bible, eventually some people in Jerusalem are like, wait a second, doesn't the Bible say that the Christ is going to come from Bethlehem, the city of David? But we see right here in verse 27, what I want you to grasp is that these are people who are in Jerusalem and they don't know their Bible. They don't know the Old Testament. And so they're mistakenly not seeing Jesus because they don't actually know what the Bible says about when Christ appears. You see, if they knew their Bibles a little bit better, they would know what Micah 2 says, which says, um, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, out of you will come one who will be ruler of all, and he will be our peace. See, Micah, one of the old prophets, says explicitly that the Christ, when he comes, he will come from the little town of Bethlehem, the city of David. And then Isaiah 9, which you, you can flip there if you want. It's page 680 in your Bible. But in Isaiah 9, another prophet starts to shed light on where the Messiah will come from. In Isaiah 9, in these famous words, uh, the Lord says in Isaiah 9, verse 1, that the Lord has made glorious the way of the sea, Galilee of the nations, and there a people walking in darkness. On them a light has shined. 
And it goes on to great, sing those, you know, those great words, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be, and everyone saying Handel's Messiah, wonderful, counselor, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now, why am I getting you to dip into Micah and Isaiah, Old Testament prophets? Well, in, in Micah, we see that it says the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. But then Isaiah tells us that the Messiah comes from Galilee, northern Israel, and a great light has shined on the people of Galilee. And unto us a child is born who will be the king to end all kings. You see, I mention that because when you read the Bible, you start to realize Jesus really is the Christ, the promised king to end all kings, the king to save us not just from the oppression of the Romans, or from taxes, or from any other human institution, but to save us from sin itself. See, but the people in Jerusalem, they, they apparently don't even have the energy or the time to study the Scriptures. So they misread Jesus because they don't know the Bible. Now, I know that's hard to imagine, a bunch of people who don't know the Bible, but Let's fast forward to 2019, and um, I love the Bible. I have a degree in the Bible, and uh, one, of the, one of the more entertaining things that I like to read every now and then are these wonderful updates from the Pew Research Forum or the Barna Group, and every few years, uh, these research groups will do studies where they'll interview people on today's Americans, people like you and me, our knowledge of the Bible. And uh, you may have heard this already, but very famously, 12% of Americans, 12% of Americans believe that Joan of Arc is Noah's wife. That's not even made up. I wish that was made up. If you don't know why that's wrong, Google exists, all right? You can find, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna explain that one to you. You can just Google that when you get home, son. That's, they're off by a couple thousand years, I think. All right, also, uh, and this is, this is another great example of uh, how we today as Americans struggle to know the Bible. Um, you know that great verse, uh, God helps those who help themselves? You know, yeah, it comes out of Third Opinions. It's th Third Opinions 316. Why are you? That's my favorite book of the Bible, right? If I ever get a Bible tattoo, you better believe first and second opinions are going to be right over here. Be like, hold on, honey. Mm, second opinion says I'm right, so... That may just be your truth. God helps those who help themselves. All right, so is that a Bible verse or not? There's, <laughs> I'm sorry if you're like laughing nervously, like, oh, no, that's not, that's not in the Bible. Of course it's, it's not. I knew that. Well, if you didn't know that that's not in the Bible, you're not alone. In fact, 82% of Americans believe that that is a Bible verse. 82% of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves. 82%. 82%. Now, if you're an astute person, uh, you may be thinking, well, you know, what about born-again believers? What about those real Christians? What about, you know, people actually come to church and stuff? What are born-again Christians? What do they know about God helps those who help themselves? Well, the good news is born-again Christians are better. The bad news is we're only better by 1%. 81% of born-again Christians believe that God helps those who help themselves. Uh, friends, if there was ever an anti-gospel message, it's that you can help yourself, and God is just going to push you to the end 
past the finish line. Uh, Friends, the gospel is the profound message that you and I, we are worse than we think and that we cannot help ourselves. That's the whole point. We were dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. Ever needed a ride home after a great night out and called a dead guy? Would he be a good DD? No, he'd be a DDD, right? (laughs) You wouldn't call that guy because you know he couldn't help you. The point, right, is not that we attain to God, but that God enters our world and helps us. So I know, so, oh, here it comes. Pastor's telling me to read the Bible more, right? Well, it is the new year, so let's load on the guilt now, right? (laughs) Set some awesome goal that you can totally reach, like read the whole Bible in your first week, right? And then read it backwards in your second week, and then read it in Hebrew and Greek by February, and you'll be golden, right? Uh, But friends, well, don't, you know, as much as I would love to load you down with guilt, guilt also doesn't work. Uh, Friends, instead, what I would invite you to do um, is if you really want to know who Jesus is, if you don't want to make the mistake of these people in this passage, and like in the people in Jerusalem who are so clueless as to where the Christ is supposed to come from, if you actually want to know the Bible, uh, what I want to invite you to consider is that reading the Bible and knowing it um, is not just something you and I are meant to do alone. Studying the Bible is meant to be done in community with other believers. Uh, I mean, this is how Christianity moves. Jesus invests his life and meals and time with flesh and blood people who then turn around and invest in more people. And if you are a Christian in this room, it's because another human being born in the image of God, spent time with you and answered your questions and talked to you about the faith. This is what it means to be a disciple. It means you and I make disciples. Disciples making disciples. If you want to know the Bible, uh, more than setting some goal that you probably aren't going to reach, although God help you, I would love for you to do it, don't hear me say, I don't want you to read the Bible in a year. Of course, that'd be great. But what I think would actually be more meaningful to your Christian walk is to do it with other believers, to study God's Word in community. Then it may actually start sticking, and you may actually want to, right? So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, I believe, and I think the Bible will show you if you study it, is He is the Christ. Right, that's the big question that they're asking, right? Look at verse 27, is this the Christ? In verse 31, you know, they say, well, when the Christ appears, is he going to do more than what Jesus has done? I mean, Jesus has this audacious claim. Jesus comes along onto the scene, and he's a Jewish carpenter. He's never been to rabbi seminary, and Jesus walks around and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. Any life that you try to live uh, will be momentary at its best. It'll be like trying to cup water in your hands. It's going to seep through the cracks in your life. Only I can really give you what you're searching for. Um, He says, all those who are thirsty, come to me and I will do what? Give you drink and you'll never be thirsty again. See, these are the things that the Christ is promising. And the beautiful thing 
is that Jesus offers this freely. He doesn't say you've got to memorize all this stuff and do all of these rules. What Jesus says profoundly is he says, believe in me. Um, You know, Calvin famously said, faith is the empty hand. Uh, We're not giving Jesus all of our good deeds, hoping that they outweigh our bad. Instead, faith is receiving grace, knowing that we couldn't earn it. And when you really know that God's love for you really, 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 really will never, ever stop, friends, that changes you from the inside out so that you actually want to be righteous. You want to do the right things. Neither height nor depth nor width or breadth can separate us from the love of God in Christ Friends, when you know that real love, it just changes you. It has to. So how does Jesus do this? Well, we don't see it in the passage, but Jesus talks about it. He talks about how he's going to accomplish that. Did you catch it? He references it right there in verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him. Because why? Because his hour had not yet come. And if you've been with us through John for the past few months, you'll know uh, your ears should be ringing because anytime Jesus says the word his hour, he's only ever referring to the hour that's coming, his time when he is going to die on a cross for the sins of his people. He's going to receive the punishment that you and I deserve. And then in the great exchange of the gospel, we give Jesus our guilt and Jesus gives us his righteousness. And through faith, when God looks at us in Christ, he sees us as absolutely perfect forever. We have the robes of righteousness around us. All of our sins have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb who was slain for us. And Jesus will never cast you aside because he earned it forever for you. See, that's the promise of the gospel. And that's what Jesus knows, which is why he's not worried about people arresting him yet, although that will come. And he's not worried about people killing him yet, although that will come. But it comes when Jesus and his Father knows it will come. Because Jesus isn't just from Bethlehem, which he is, and he's not just from Galilee, which is where he grew up. Jesus is also from a person. He's from the Father. He's from God himself. Because Jesus is God, the Son. So let me just finish up with this, friend. You know, is Christmas time, is it happy or sad? You know, does your heart hear the major key or the minor key? You know, do your eyes see the cold, lonely, dark winter night? Or does it see the Christmas lights shining bright? You know, is it a time of a bleak midwinter, or is it time to hang up the Christmas lights? Uh, or, to, as Hugh Martin put it famously, from now on, will we all have to muddle through somehow? Or will we hang a shining star from the highest bough? Uh, friends, that's an invitation to see Jesus this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each one of us would have eyes to see and ears to hear Jesus' own voice. Father, we pray for those who are suffering and sad right now. Jesus, would you fill in the gap for any heartache that they have? 
And Lord, we thank you uh, for those of us who are experiencing joy at this time. Uh, Lord, we know that all good gifts come from you. Uh, Father, would you draw people to yourself even this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.